I got some some real devastating news to share, boys. For the first time in over five years, I'd say nearly seven years, I saw an Elon Musk tweet on my timeline. Oh no, man! I think he's doing Ow. mass. I think he's doing mass unblocks. The man unblocked <laughs> me. You imagine being that hard up for for engagement that you. Uh... You unblock people that are just going to are, are chomping at the bit to tear more into your paper thin skin. Yeah, it's called being a loser. <laughs> I, I I think that's exactly what because well he's been complaining for a while that he's not getting enough engagement. You know he made his. I did see something where like uh, I think it was from Paris Marx's um, uh, newsletter disconnected or disconnect where he was like saying that I had a hard day with the engineering team at Twitter and essentially essentially boiled down to the engineering team told him that his tweets were too popular. That's why he wasn't getting engagement. It was overloading the servers or something like that. What the fuck? <laughs> I love that shit. And you're actually so cool that no one fucks with you right now. <laughs> That's the problem. It does make it does make me realize that Twitter right now is essentially like a banana republic where you know it's uh it's fucking hook, right? You got Shmi uh being mm. like, I don't know, Captain Hook, you too popular. That's why people are not uh not not engaging with you. <laughs> but it is a sad day. It's a sad day to be unblocked. And I think you're right, Jeremy. This this is the behaviors of a of an addict smoking dandruff he found in the carpets. You know, he's he's anything he can to get that engagement he'll just mass he's doing mass on blocks and and uh i hate giving people the block you know because because i don't want to give people the satisfaction of the block so it was the win it was a, it was a win-win that hit that i got the satisfaction of being blocked by elon musk and also did not have to see elon's tweets and now he's gone and blown up that spot it's, i'm devastated sad day well you know what you got to do now you gotta block him again. I don't want. I, I might have to. I might just have to give him the block because I cannot. What get? What did it to me is seeing one of his dumbass memes on my timeline. And the ones I hated he usually it. steals from other people. Oh, it was. It was absolutely a classic um, screenshot where it uh, cut out, cut off the person's like at name. So it's just uh, just like a, a a tweet, you know, out there in that. the ether. No, I totally made it. What does Joe Rogan think about that? Because didn't he? Wasn't he like one of the first like people really rallying against like was it Carlos Mencina for stealing jokes? But yet he has a <laughs> habitual joke stealer on the show. Jamie, pull uh, it up, pull it up on the screen. Did I ever say that? <laughs> <laughs> I will play the audio right now with him. <laughs> no, you will not. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, you no. will not. I'm, uh, I'm now done with this conversation. I, I don't want to talk about any of these motherfuckers anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, friends and enemies. It's episode 234 of This Machine Kills. I'm Jathan, joined by Ed and producer Jeremy, as always. And for, this, for, for today's episode, I want to I uh, dip a foot back in something we haven't talked about in a while. And that's, that's the, the, these absolutely booming market for data, especially, you know, the third party or the market for third party data. It's catalyzed by 
the markup, you know, one of my favorite investigative, you know, journalism outfits, you know, they call, call themselves data-driven journalism, and they just do some of the absolutely best investigations into the very opaque, very sprawling, can like exponentially growing data market. Uh, like that, I mean, they just do it in a way that no one else does. I have, it's, it's interesting to be, you know, studying the data market, writing about it, researching it as an academic for so long. Um, and then like seeing, you know, the mark and, and basically be craving for something like the markup for, for a very long time now where they're one of the only people out there, like really laying out the contours of the data market in a really detailed way. Um, it's, it's so useful, but anyways, enough, uh, effusive praise for the, for the markup, but they've, they just had a recent article come out called forget milk and eggs. Supermarkets are having a fire sale on data about you. And this is one in like a, a kind of long standing series they've been running and just, you know, just over the last a uh, couple months, some big blockbuster exposés about the data market and all of the different places where, you know, there exists multi-billion dollar data markets that you would just not even think about, right? Or that you might have some inkling that it exists, but you really have no idea how extensive uh, and how refined it is. And so, you know, this this investigation into supermarkets, I want to go through it. I want to talk about it. It's super interesting, but it also does link up directly to uh, an investigation they released um, uh, a couple months ago about telehealth startups that are sending and selling and sharing sensitive health information with big tech companies and data brokers. Um, and this links up to another investigation they had, I think, sometime maybe last year, maybe a year ago, something like that around like the market for location data and all of the apps, the very popular apps that exist in large part just to suck up uh, location data and, you know, and sell that location data like in near real time to anybody who wants it. Um, like, you know, just... The, the, the stuff they, the, these investigations, I want to get into them in part as well, because it's also like, it's stuff that we've known about. Like if you're like us and you study this or you pay attention to this, you know about like the fact that supermarket loyalty programs have always been a data grabbing initiative, right? Like that's always been what it's, it's about. And color me shocked that these like telehealth startups that came up during the pandemic were, you know, had ulterior motives or had really poor practices or were profit driven, you know, color me shocked about it. But like, it's one thing to kind of have a, a an inkling or have some kind of gestural knowledge of what's going on here. Um, and it's another thing completely to have it like really laid out in detail to see that like, actually things are a lot worse than you anticipated. Uh, a rare instance where uh, 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 things are not as bad as we think they are, they are actually worse. Um, and and this is like the, the way the data market is operating right now um, and the kind of landscape of it is absolutely one of those cases where it's like way worse than you expected to be, but also I think that there's been a little bit of a fall off of attention on it as well, because it's like, 
you know, it seems like, oh, you know, people have short attention spans. They move on to new stuff. It's like, oh, talking about big data, talking about these, like, you know, data, these markets for, for data collection and third party data selling, like, oh, that's so 10 years ago. But like, this shit is like bigger and harder and faster and stronger than it ever has been before. Yeah. You know, I think, um, I think that, you know, data markets are always really interesting too, because I think it's been hard recently, you know, well, maybe not recently, but in the past two years with the advent of surveillance capitalism as like a framework for understanding things, there's been a temptation, at least I know in my own part, to kind of like avoid talking about data markets outright because of how easily it lends itself to the argument about that at the heart of surveillance capitalism, which kind of argues this is a, this is not capitalism, this is surveillance that is distorting capitalism and it's creating new incentives outside of profit motives. But, you know, I think that one, one, one counter to that, as you know, the markup does in this report, is literally just looking at the markets. Because if you look at the markets versus kind of like, you know, relying on a, re- a reconstruction of the markets from a sociologist like you know, Zuboff, as, as detailed as the reconstruction might be, what you still see is like, you know, still a typical market, maybe a weird one in the way that most markets today are weird and that, you know, because of how scarce profits may be except in a few key areas, the poor returns are, and because of how much free money is sloshing around or was sloshing around, you know, people are entertaining longer and longer timescales for profits. But these data markets, like you said, I mean, they're they're usually connected to really integral parts of the U.S. economy. They're providing really detailed granular information and data, and they're backstopping or part of larger and increasingly larger other transactions and markets, which which do generate profits regularly. In the search for an attempt or a way to find new goods and services to provide. I mean, I think of this similarly to how, you know, in your book, Jathan, you talked about um, the role that Siemens and other tech giants had in like trying to create smart cities. It's, you know, in the sense that like smart cities didn't materialize, but nonetheless, like all the markets for various aspects of it still were present, you know, whether it's for the control system or the control room, whether it's for the sensor networks, um, whether it's for trying to figure out ways and in, 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 gen, in turning data generated from sewer systems or from trash pickup systems and, and into some sort of privatized service or figuring out ways to carve up pu- free public space into parking space or how to optimize transit times when you're getting rid of parks or replacing them with, you know, more empty space for cars, but balancing that with something else so traffic doesn't shoot up. Whatever it is, the markets are still present in the background. And in here we're dealing with tens of billions of dollars in other firms that are translating to even more money um, potentially in these in, in these markets and these in these data markets, and that this manifests in a, few, um, a lot of really creative and interesting ways, right? Because you know the report that um, the markup has focuses on you know supermarkets and and talks about the reason some of the reasons and why which um, supermarkets end up being like sites of massive data collection, right? You know, because it's not simply that you're going to a supermarket and they're collecting data for you. I mean, the way that we have, the way our food system works here, it's a, it's a deeply inefficient and centralized system where you're not just going to a supermarket, usually going to a place that's far from your own home in a commuter-heavy city. So you're driving there and, and, and you're already, and 
you know, you maybe you live in a food desert, or maybe you don't live in a food desert, but you're getting your 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 behavior at the at the store is is something that can be reliably you can reliably glean patterns from, right? What kind of food are you getting? You know, maybe we can infer how far you live or how far p- people live based on the type of food they get, right? People, if you lived, you're not you're not going to get ice cream if it's going to be live if you live in a radius where it will probably melt by the time you get there. Um, you'll probably get these types of foods if you live in the, live in these types of cities. Like those, maybe some examples of like basic overlay information. But of course, like this is far more than that, right? This is not simply just like taking basic data science and information. It's using the fact that everyone has to go to the the decentralized food um, yeah, food store uh, to, to get food. The fact that there are multiple ways to track people with this, whether it's through loyalty programs, whether it's through electronic devices that they have, whether it's through camera sensors and monitors uh, uh, that track eye movement, that track where people stand, that have heat maps, um, that you know, that track how often the volume of which uh, products are moving in and off of the shelves. All of these, you know, can build up into this really huge ecosystem as they as they talk about. Um, it's getting fed into analytics, into targeted advertising, into tracking, right? Persistent tracking that follows you from the supermarket to home or to other businesses that might be interested in what you bought in the supermarket because it can shed insight into what type of person you are, what type of lifestyle choices you make, or what types of lifestyle choices you can be induced to make based on aggregate data that they have on the population at large. Um, um, and, and who they snoop on and surveil as well in other ways too, because, right, because every other firm is not just simply buying info to deal with. They're also doing their own surveillance and then combining the data together or combining it from other people who are doing surveillance in other parts of your lives. Part of that as well, like it is all that is that data fusion. And, you know, as I learned from this article, uh, Kroger has a subsidiary company, um, called 84.51, um, which I guess is the, uh, the large longitudinal coordinate for the, uh, the, the Kroger headquarters in Cincinnati. Um, fucking nerd shit, but we also love numbers. <laughs> we love numbers for a creepy cyberpunk dystopian company. That's welcome. Welcome to 785, where we figure out how to turn you into meat, into soy went green. Actually, I, I remember that. Uh, wasn't that wasn't that George Lucas's first movie? <laughs> oh yeah, T X T H T H X eight five or five eight. I think. <laughs> well, I was thinking about like a one one three eight. Yo, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a fucking you know uh, nerd of a name eighty four point five one. But it's also really ingenious because it makes them absolutely impossible to uh to know about right like like they don't have like a name that you can google they don't have a name that you're gonna remember they don't have a you know they like their name is i would say by design meant to be like like unsearchable uh like not meant like not memorable uh whatsoever um and also just seem anonymous right their website you know it's 80 uh 8451.com huh I ain't going to a website <laughs> called 8451.com, you know, oh, like, right. like it's, it's a kind it's ingenious, right? Uh, I'll, I'll get into them, but before we do, I raise it just because you're talking about like the data fusion aspect uh, of this, which is, you know, which is extremely important and also really goes to show, I like that you raised the surveillance capitalism bit. And I think you're right. Like, I think that there is absolutely an aspect to, 
a kind of like a reaction to surveillance. I'm I'm really still up in the air. I, I think I lean towards a net negative. Uh, if surveillance, if the book. Uh, surveillance capitalism and the fervor around it and the framework that came out of it, especially from people who like, you know, most people have not read the book. They just like, they hear the term and then they kind of create their own idea of what it means. Right. Um, and so there's like not a lot of consistency in the application of it. Um, or it does lean regardless. It does lean very heavily towards like drawing our attention uh, and emphasize like emphasizing only uh, a few big tech companies, right? Like you're like, oh shit! Like the data market, that's what Google and uh, Facebook and uh, Amazon, like and, you know, maybe like you know some you know Twitter or something like you know, like that's the big data market, right? Or that's that's surveillance capitalism. Like it it pulls our attention to looking at a few big tech companies. When in reality, like the data market is so much bigger than that, uh, so much more beneath the surface. Like there is absolute, there's this iceberg model, right? Where like we're only focusing on the the tip. You know, sure it's a it's a it's a big pointy tip uh, that, but but we're not looking at like the ma- the massive market that is submerged just beneath the surface here. And you know, it means that like. You know, when we're talking about surveillance capitalism, nobody's talking about supermarkets. You know, you ain't talking about the supermarket data sweep. Uh, but that's, that is like increasingly, um, a huge profit motive or huge profit engine of the, of supermarkets. And this, uh, this markup story was in part motivated by the announced plans last October, um, for a merger between Kroger and Albertsons. Those are the two of the, the largest supermarket chains in the U S. Um, and they own, they each own a huge number of subsidiaries and other, other brands, right? So like, even if you don't shop at a Kroger or shop at an Albertsons, you shop at a supermarket with some other name or some other brand, there's a very good chance is owned by Kroger or Albertsons, right? They have, not quite a duopoly of the of groceries in the U in the U.S. because still the largest single grocery provider, like grocery seller in the U.S., is Walmart. Um, but the merger, the proposed, the announced merger, which is a twenty four point six billion dollar merger between Kroger and Albertsons, would combine the top two supermarket chains in order to. Um, over, you know, with the plans of overtaking Walmart as the overall top seller of groceries, um, and as the uh, the markup lays out here, that uh, Kroger in particular has carefully grown uh, two alternative profit businesses, you know, quote unquote alternative profit business units that monetize uh, customer information. Uh, and, 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 you know, for Kroger, they, that's a bit, that's like a, a billion dollars in profit opportunity, as they call it. Um, 
just in these alternative profit businesses, which are, which are data, right? It's about the collection, sell, and analysis of data. Um, and so as the markup lays out, by folding Albertsons into Kroger, we'll potentially add tens of millions of additional households into this uh, data pool, netting half the households in America as customers. So that's half the households in America would be captured by this uh, duopoly merger between Kroger and Albertsons, which means that half the households, that they have really detailed data uh, about half the households in America. We need a sound that's like, you know, when someone does like a really egregious and illegal move. Should be like sick move capitalist or sick move bro. It's <laughs> a little sound. Sick, sick <laughs> I'm doing my part to make sure they don't get my information by using my mom's phone number. Hell yeah. When I go to the grocery stores and they ask you for the club thing. You know how I fight the good fight against them? I steal. That's what I do. I steal a lot <laughs> well, at the grocery store. <laughs> I, I might have to censor this out because I don't want. I don't want to get a knock on the door from somebody. But uh, they'll never catch me. You'll never catch me. Have a beanie that's got a, a, a headlight on it, like you use when you go camping. Mm-hmm. But I turn that shit on when I'm in the self checkout at Walmart and go whoops, yeah. whoops, <laughs> whoops, whoops, whoops. There's no ethical consumption under capitalism, but there sure as shit is shoplifting. I want <laughs> everyone in there who's who's at home right now, close your eyes and imagine the checkout, the self-checkout aisle and all the human helpers that are standing there doing really nothing other than making sure you don't steal from the company. Uh, in a, in a 10,000 years, when Elon Musk successful, successfully gets possessed by the AI he so desperately wants to create, that's that's going to be the the vague abstract picture of the world. You just you're going to have a bunch of humans kind of really doing nothing other than making sure you don't think any bad thoughts about what about Neuralink, Tesla, SpaceX, Uber, Alipay. I'm gonna I'm gonna put the I'm gonna put my tinfoil hat on <laughs> and say that grocery stores are the are going to be the first battleground of the uh, the Luddite struggle because these motherfuckers keep rolling out these like robot employees in their grocery oh, yeah, stores. And people have to get fed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, dude. You know? So yeah. they want your information so those robots know exactly where to take you to get the shit you need. Listen, I know the kids are going to be good because I see the middle schoolers all the time. Whenever there's one of these Fucking robots rolling robots around, up. they fuck those things up. <laughs> they don't <laughs> let them breathe. It's that it's the it's the fucking tweet where it's like I don't I all I know is me and my homies would have killed E.T. with hammers. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yes. <laughs> fuck yes. Oh, fuck yes. And you know what? We would have cooked that motherfucker too kids. because we would have been like, meat, it's free. It's free meat. Yeah, Let's do this. You know? And they would have ate them. That's every one of these kids with the fucking automated robots in these stores these days. <laughs> Well, to be fair, I lived in Mississippi, so we were going to eat them regardless. These kids yeah. are savages. <laughs> I bet. Honestly, I bet ET would have tasted good. You know, I mean, he was a vegetarian, wasn't he? Oh yeah. Mm. Dude, dude looked like a he had a weird body. He looked like he was all all gristle and fat. <laughs> Ducks look good, but my God, do they taste oh delicious! <laughs> 
<laughs> oh man! All right, well, let's get let's get back to back to the, but, but the, <laughs> yeah, but the supermarket the does need to be a site of luddite uh, struggle, absolutely, and I'll I'll lay out why. But I also did want to mention, you know, the merger here between Kroger and Albertsons. We absolutely have to understand this as both a like you know a merger between two big the top Shit two supermarket merger. chains because you know they're they're trying to com- overtake Walmart as a top seller of groceries. You know, trying to gain that. That monopoly, but also like they have a really good argument here because of Walmart that they are not going to have a monopolistic position with this merger um, because they also operate, they tend to operate in different regions, right? Um, but again, they are not the top seller of groceries, Walmart is. And so, like, like they've got an arg- an antitrust argument here, but we also really have to understand this merger as a merger of data capital. This is why uh, the surveillance capitalism framework that like so focuses on big tech overlooks what I think you know the concept of data capital is much better at, at capturing, which is that like data as a form of capital is now uh, like the accumulation of it is an imperative, and it motivates a lot of the activities and practices of businesses not not just big tech but all businesses and this is like this markup story at looking at Kroger and Albertsons and the merger really demonstrates how much this is also a data merger right not just a a, a grocery store merger but a data merger cuz let me lay out some of the data some of the information that Kroger says they may collect uh, on on people, right? And according to their privacy policy, so this is this is what they themselves are admitting that they do or or might you know do or are capable of collecting um, from people. Let me just lay out this list here. So obviously we got personal information, right? So when you sign up for a loyalty program, you're giving them your name, your email address, your mailing address, your phone number. You get a, a membership ID and your household is given a unique identifier, right? So they're all, that's already a lot of information, Right, because now, now that in addition to that, obviously every time you go and shop, you scan that loyalty card. Well, every, your your purchase history, your in in store and online shopping purchases are all added together into one big list. Right, like keeping track of everything you've ever purchased, when you've purchased it, how often you've purchased it over the course of your entire membership in the loyalty program. And for a lot of people, this is years decades of of data, right? You've been shopping at Albertsons or Kroger for, you know, 20 years. Your family's been shopping there for 30 years, right? Well, you're all part of the same household. Uh, And so it's just, it, it, it just, you know, that data compounds and adds and adds and adds as time goes on. So that's really valuable already in itself, right? You've got unique identifiers attached to demographic information and contact information and also family kinship networks, right? People living in the same household, um, all linked to what you buy. And the grocery store is not an occasional purchase, right? This is something, this is somewhere you're going, you know, for a lot of people, multiple times a week, for some people, you know, one big trip every couple weeks, but like very, very regularly. Um, and so, all right, so we got personal information and purchase history. Already a ton of fucking data. That's just the tip of it, though. You got location. 
obviously the location of the of the store, but your location within the store, right? Oftentimes, your very precise physical location in the store, including when you enter and leave a store. And this is being collected through things like the Kroger app, GPS, Bluetooth beacons inside the store. This is stuff that is like really standard at, in retail now. And supermarkets have all have long been at the forefront of uh, retail data capture. And this, this shit's you know, very precise and it doesn't even matter, you know, especially with the Bluetooth beacons, you don't need to have the app. You don't even need to have your GPS on. If your Bluetooth is active, then it's going to be pinging off these beacons. And that's, that's going to, you know, they're going to be triangulating it and providing very detailed uh, and precise movements uh, and locations of you within a store. All right. So we got that. Financial and payment information, obviously, you know, they got your credit, debit, or other payment cards, your bank account numbers, right? All that information. Here, you know, here's where it starts getting a little, a little wacky. They also have health, you know, they also collect a lot of health-related information. And according to the Kroger privacy policy, quote, where permitted by applicable law to serve you better, we make certain inferences about you based upon your shopping history that are health-related, not only do they have health-related information, you know, in terms of like what you're buying at the pharmacy, what prescriptions you're filling at the pharmacy, um, but they're also making health-related inferences about you based on your your purchase habits, right? Like, what? How is your health? Are you are you uh, you know buying a lot of a specific kind of supplement? Are you avoiding certain kinds of foods? Has your shopping habits changed recently? Right. This is a uh, um, you know all all these kind of uh, inferences they're making about about who you are based on your purchase history. So now now we're talking about not only like you know just the hard data that they've collected, but now what they're doing with that data, what kind of guesses and inferences and analysis uh, uh, you know that they're sell that they're that they're creating, and who knows who they're selling that to, right? Um, then then it, it it goes on it goes on. They got mobile device data, of course. So, you know, your mobile advertising ID, your IP address, your browsing data, uh, you know, any tracking pixels and cookies that they might be using. Um, they obviously have your demographic data. So your, your age, your marital and family status, the languages you speak, your education, your gender, your ethnicity, your race, your employment, and quote unquote other demographic information. Uh, suddenly <laughs> it sounded like Kroger knows me better than I know myself and better than anybody else knows me. And then, you know, you might expect this. If of, they got a prick of your blood, they could <laughs> probably find long lost family members and reconnect you guys at the grocery store. They kind of do. They sell uh, the 23andMe little collection vials at, at your oh local my God. <laughs> I, I see another merger in the in the far future. Between two data-heavy tech stacks that yeah. could meld and bring together two disparate parts of an advertising ecosystem and saturate um, can saturate investor... No. Empower investors to take advantage of underutilized uh, but but hungry information-driven 
uh, technologies and and and, um, and behavior modification strategies. I can see the campaign now. Families made by Kroger. You know. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> it's an award-winning advertising campaign about how Kroger is bringing families together over over it's the not joy. A, it's not a store. It's a home. That's right. <laughs> when is Kroger's going to have to move their headquarters to another state when the whole state of Ohio becomes this just like no man's land from the train mm-hmm. derailment? They're going to have to change their the name of their data collection company. It's just going to no. be a nightmare. Kroger will never move. Cincinnati will just become a an enclave, a fortified enclave, oh, snow God. crash be style, a bubble. It'll be like a vault. Yeah. Oh, okay. What's the name of the company? It's 8451. That's right. A oh vault my God. Vault 8451. <laughs> vault 8451. <laughs> I hate Man. how easy that is. <laughs> <laughs> this is the future, hey, baby. I got the, the monkey paw right monkey here. Why is that monkey paw curling? Why is it curling? <laughs> <laughs> so they obviously got all that demographic data. In addition, they've got biometric data. So, because they are using facial recognition in some of their stores, um, and and this is the I'm, I'm sure it's the you know we were talking about self checkouts earlier. I'm sure this is the case in the U.S. and I'm sure it's the case in Kroger stores. Um, but I do know that in the in Australia, so our duopoly, our supermarket duopoly, is Wool, Woolsworth and uh, Coles. I know that uh, uh, Woolies, as it's called, you know, ha- has been using image recognition. Um, and it's self checkouts to, uh, you know, whatever. If you put produce down, it will, you know, automatically recognize what that produce is, right? Um, and, you know, a lot of this is like, oh, it's convenient, right? You don't have to go and search for apples in the, in the, you know, in the list or whatever. But like, no, this is all about loss prevention, right? Like automatic image recognition, um, of products, but also, of course, Facial recognition. I mean, those self checkouts all have cameras in them that are directly focused and looking at the uh, the the shopper. And so, obviously, they're they they they're doing facial recognition. I've seen the signs in Woolies stores uh, where they're saying, you know, facial recognition is being trialed in this store. Um, and so, Kroger is doing the same exact shit, right? Uh, and then also, finally. The last piece of information they disclose that they uh, do or may collect um, is behavioral inferences. So, quote, we create inferred and derived data elements by analyzing your shopping history in combination with other information we have collected about you to personalize product offerings, your shopping experience, marketing messages, and promotional offers. So, this is all the stuff that Kroger says that they do or can collect. Um, that's this is already a fucking massive amount of information for a supermarket to have on you, right? Uh, let alone, we don't even know for sure what other stuff they might be doing or who they are selling or sharing that data with. Uh, you know, they claim. Um, that all of this data collection is used to, quote, fulfill shopper requests, personalize product offerings, improve services, and support our business operations and functions, right? They do say in, in an SC, uh, SEC uh, disclosure that third-party entities do not have access to identifiable customer data. The operative word there is identifiable, 
We do know, though, that when you're talking about this much data, in fact, you don't even have to really be talking about that much data for de-identified to essentially mean nothing, right? Like, um, you know, there was a study recently uh, that showed that if if you've got the uh, the purchase price and location of four different items. So if you go, if you go to Kroger, buy four different items and all you know is the purchase price, location, and time of that collection of four items, not even necessarily what the items are, that's enough information to de-identify the the data, right? To, to, To find out precisely who bought those four items. So... De-identification means essentially so means means nothing, right? You don't have to try that hard to de-identify uh, uh, this data, right? So when they say they don't share they don't share identified uh, uh, data, that's like it's a it, you know it's a hollow it's a it's a hollow promise. But also it, it points to another thing, and this is where I think we can start talking about eighty four fifty one a bit more. Um, Kroger's data company, uh, which is like like a a best in practice uh data company which is absolutely wild right um but like this is where it's also really important to think about the the uh social theory and relational theories of data and here i'm thinking of salome villun you know friend of the show uh one of the best uh data law and governance scholars out there Um, But her excellent paper on a relational theory of data governance, you know, really emphasized that we spend so much time uh, at, you know, as policymakers, as analysts, as scholars, as journalists, paying attention to these vertical relationships of data, as she calls it, right? So thinking about how is my data being collected? How is it being filtered up? How is it being directly used by the person collecting it? You know, how do they, you know, how are they relating this to me as a person, um, right, in an identifiable sense? Like, you know, this is all wrapped up in ideas of personal information, right, where it's all about the, you know, your personal data, your personal information uh, that we spend so much time focusing on those like direct uh, and individualized relationships of data that in reality, the really most powerful and valuable relationships of data here are, are ones that are indirect and horizontal, right? So it's not what is the person collecting your data doing with that data directly in a, uh, in a you know, about and how is it impacting you as an individual? You know, are they, are they uh, finding out that it's, you know, uh, Jeremy Brown lives at XYZ and does ABC and whatever. But it's like, no, they don't really care about that. They, these people don't care about you as an individual and they don't care about you directly, right? The, the most powerful and valuable relationship here is a, a, is a, a indirect and horizontal one. They care about you, you know, they don't care about you, they care about us, right? And what does us as a uh, as an aggregated whole say, and what is us as like a house at a household level or as a collection of segments and audiences 
say, right? And these are very, per, you know, very detailed segmentation. But what matters is, you know, is household A like household B like household C? And how can we create a, a segment that encompasses all of these people because they are uh, all functionally the same and that's more data, it's more powerful analysis, right? Versus like the data of one, right? Kroger doesn't care about you, they care about us. And that's the data they're collecting. And similarly, they don't care about doing things to you directly, they care much more about indirect things. Like, yes, they are directly marketing uh, things at you, you know, promos and, and advertisements and stuff like that. But what's even more valuable is knowing like a person's shopping history over time, how that correlates to other shopping history and how would that you know, how you can connect that to uh, a, a product, for example, you know, how do different set, how do people in different segments um, interact with a specific product? Uh, and, you know, when do they buy it? How often do they buy it? And what can we do to uh, do some some testing around modifying um, that, that those purchasing habits, not just of a person, but of a whole segment or across multiple segments, right? Like, that, that's the level at which we need to be thinking um, when we're looking at this kind of data markets, when we're looking at the kind of data analysis here, because um, that's the level they're thinking at, right? I think this, again, it gets back to these kind of like longstanding uh, mistaken tendencies that exist in analysis of the data market is on one hand, the surveillance capitalism kind of, you know, model of only looking at the big tech companies and not at the entire um, economy or across multiple industries that are not traditionally thought of as data industries. There's all, and there's the model of the, and there's also the mistaken tendency of looking at the, you know, really individualized direct and vertical relationships of data. You know, this hyper-focus on personal information, personal privacy, when in reality what makes data valuable is the relations it has across multiple data sets, across multiple data segments, um, and, and, and in a collective sense, right? Like the, the mismatch here of analysis and, and practice um, is that analysis focuses so much on things that the industry and practice have uh, long since transcended or long since expanded past. And I think the, this, you know, looking at the supermarket industry here is a really prime case study of how these tendencies are upended when we cast our net a little bit wider. To that, then, I think it would be worth getting a little bit into uh, 8451 as we kind of, you know, can uh, start wrapping up this episode. But there's a, uh, uh, you, you want you you jump us into looking at Kroger's data company, 8451? Yeah, it's a beautiful one, right? So it's a family-owned business. Uh, just kidding. It's not family. I don't know if it's family-owned or not. Well, what I do know is that it was founded in 1883. In Cincinnati. So there are about 60 million households that Kroger counts 
as regular shoppers, um, as the markup points out, right? This is across 2,750 stores. Um, this is across two dozen retail brands, such as Ralph's and Food for Less. And these are across chains and stores in 35 states, the District of Columbia, totaling $137 billion in revenue um, or sales, right? Uh, so this is a massive business. And, and, in a Kroger promotional presentation, um, the company insisted that the merger would not only, of course, be good for investors because it would consolidate a competitor against Walmart, but because of these alternative profit businesses. And you know, these include these run the gamut, right? These are financial services such as Kroger Personal Finance. There's Kroger Precision Marketing, which is retail advertising. There's 8451, which is retail data operations. Now, altogether, these could generate about a billion dollars in profits uh, for investors, but that at the moment, Kroger's admits they only have about $150 million of operating profit. So what what really is 8451? So back in 2003, you know, um, Kroger partnered with uh, Dunhumby, a data science subsidiary of the UK supermarket chain Tesco, uh, the market rights. Dunhubby was an early innovator in the gathering of shopper data through loyalty programs. After its successful 12-year partnership, Kroger purchased a majority stake in Dunhubby's U.S. operations and rolled it into its own data science firm called 8451, named after the longitude of Kroger's Cincinnati headquarters. Right, And so 8451 uh, takes insights generated uh, in, in retail operations and then sells them to makers of the products that are in the stores Kroger's is generating insights for. And so this means its clients include companies like General Mills, Unilever, Coca-Cola, Kraft Heinz, right? The quote, the data 8451 provides to them is used to understand not just what sales figures are for a given product, but also the context of the purchase, context that can only be understood with data about the shopper. And as we pointed out earlier, the data about the shopper is massively intrusive, right? Because you're getting behavioral inferences, biometric data, demographic data, mobile device data, health-related data, financial payment information, location, purchase history, personal information, and more, right? That's the context in which they're providing these massive corporations, right? And why you can see um, this alternative business might generate a lot of money, potentially, right? If a merger happened and they wanted to compete with Walmart. What we have here is um, an interview that Phil uh, Lempert, who's the founder and editor of the Supermarket Guru, which studies you know, retail grocery business trends. Um, in, in, in the interview, he said that the type of data that 8451 sells can answer questions about a particular product. Quote, what is it? that makes a consumer buy it? Is it just price? Is it something else? It gives brands a roadmap on how to compete effectively, whether it's against store brands or competing brands, to understand that consumer behavior. And so part of the whole reason why it markets its insights to clients uh, who are putting products inside the building, one, because that's an obvious strategy, but two, because Kroger's has a lot of data that it can present as massively scaled and intense, intensely granular, right? Quote, we have collected over 2,000 variables on customers, claims an 8451 marketing brochure titled, taking the guesswork out of audience targeting. 
The historical reach of the data is another selling point, noting that the data includes 18 years of Kroger Plus card data. A page marketing, 8451's collaborative cloud, says the company has unaggregated data about individual product sales from 2 billion annual transactions across 60 million households with a persistent household identifier. It adds that the data is privacy compliant. But as Jason pointed out before, what that really means is you know, depersonalized, relatively easy to reverse and understand. What's interesting is there's a screenshot that's shared here, which kind of talks about how uh, Kroger Precision Marketing, which is one of those alternative businesses, not 8451, but a different one, provides uh, best-in-class data-build relationships, right? Um, Now, Kroger Precision Marketing here, though, is doing a slide for 8451, and it says 8451 gathers exclusive purchase data from Kroger Plus loyalty cards to understand customers at a deeper level. With these insights, we can personalize experiences for each customer, making them feel appreciated and gaining their loyalty in turn. One of the things that's pointed out here is that there is, quote, ethnic panels, which is, I thought that said ethic panels, and this is even worse. They have ethnic panels, so they, they have, you know, the largest Hispanic panel, right, which allows them unique insights into what the Hispanic mind wants um, and does and how it acts in their stores. We're also seeing that um, it's able to, or, insist that it's able to find shoppers via attributes like lifestyle, household size, and income, right? These are pretty important ways and broad insights uh, that allow it to um, uh, try to hone in and tell you know investors, hey, look, like we can, at a large level, cleave up and find things that we're looking at, an audience that you might want, an audience that you want to learn more about. There's also a web page which promotes behavioral analytics. And 8451 claims that 35 plus petabytes of first party customer data are science, no crystal ball needed. Um, a petabyte is about, as, um, as the marker points out, it's about a million gigabytes, right? And so this is 66% larger than the U.S. Library of Congress's digital collection, which is 21 petabytes in 2022. That's fun. Um, Now, uh, the markup was told by uh, Albertsons that, quote, we do not use groupings related to age, race, gender, ethnicity, income levels, or financial status to create customer groups for either our own or third-party promotions. Kroger's did not respond to comment. It's hard to believe Albertsons when they say that, um, especially because... uh, Part of the impetus for the merger is almost certainly that there is such an aggregation or unaggregation of data that exists behind uh, Albertson's borders and walls that uh, would allow them to take advantage of and supercharge operations uh, to a scale and a granular level that might compete with Walmart. Yeah, and, and to that point too, I want to just point out that there's another screenshot in the markup that uh, mysteriously has since been removed from 8451's website uh, that, as the markup notes, there's a screenshot from January of 2023 that has since been removed, um, which shares examples of what information Kroger has on shoppers. And in this screenshot, it, it, there's an image of like a bunch of people at a, at a, at a dinner table and it hones in on two, two people um, and, and gives you a, a kind of sample of the profiles of these people, right? So one is Julie, 48 years old, married, lives in Nashville, Tennessee, 
She is an avid digital coupon user and downloads them on Kroger.com. She's an active Pinterest user, always looking for the next great recipe for a family gathering. She plans ahead and buys in bulk for her family of five. And then on the other hand is Miles, 32 years old, single, Chicago, Illinois. He receives offers through email and direct mail, but hardly ever uses them. Frequently listens to podcasts during workouts. He shops the parameter of the store to keep up with his healthy lifestyle. Now, all of that information, even if it's just a, uh, an advertising you know, a sample on the website, that all d- directly relates to the exact things that the Kroger um, or the Albertson spoke. Ah, here's the problem. So the Albertson spokesperson, now I see it's Albertson's who says we don't collect, we don't do uh, groupings related to age, race, gender, ethnicity, et cetera. But Kroger's own website for their data analysis firm, 8451, advertises the fact that they do do those groupings. So... Now I see the disconnect here. I was like, oh, the, the person is lying, just bald face lying. But no, now I recognize that what Albertsons is saying, we don't do this. And Kroger is looking at all the data that Albertsons has and is drooling over the fact that it's been untapped. Because Kroger is like, oh, y'all don't do that? We do. We do it very profitably. So uh, we're going to merge with you and then uh, and do it to your data as well. Um, so I, I, in real time, also realized what was going on. I was like, these motherfuckers are lying. But no, this is part of the impetus of this merger is Kroger does do all of this analysis related to age, race, gender, um, class, etc. Whereas Albertsons claims they don't. But to Kroger, that's just a market opportunity. Mm, interesting. That's a good point. That's a good way to look at it too, right? Because then that that's a market opportunity that also probably gives them a little bit inside where it's like, okay, we're the it's just us and maybe like some smaller firms and we can buy them up. They probably, you know, maybe that's part of the reason why they partnered with Tesco's in the first place to try to get a sense of what competitors were using and then realizing, oh, like it's just you guys and a few others, perhaps. I think also this next section. Where you know we kind of dive into how the shopper data is used and the insights that are generated is pretty interesting, right? Because uh, it reveals a little bit about this process, right? Mainly that you know companies are putting products into stores. They would like to know what goes on after the sh- after they placed onto the shelves. They don't usually have that much, right? So they want these granular information as opposed to the large scale. You know, generalized information that allows to that signals them this store, or that store, this brand or that brand, this location or that location. The granular would let them know, okay, what's happening afterwards, and if we can do any tinkering or modifications and incentives or nudges to ensure that what happens after the shelf is that someone picks it up and goes home with it. Supermarkets are really the only places where you can get that data, as we said, for a multitude of reasons, not just because of all the surveillance that goes on there, because the role that they play in American life, because the way food system is centralized, and because of what else you can get there, and because of where they're usually placed in cities, um, and the way in, in which you access them in cities, you know, so by car, um, at a distance, you know, on a regular uh, a regular weekly schedule, maybe bi-weekly even, or maybe monthly, you know, depending on whatever, you know, where you're going, uh, how much you're getting each time. But in one way or another, there are fixture, a reliable fixture in a, in a way a few other uh, commercial places are. And you can't opt out. 
Can't help yeah. out at the grocery store. You have to buy food, you know, sadly. <laughs> you have to. I mean, not sadly, I love food. <laughs> but you can't, you can, you, I just wish you didn't have to buy it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? That's all the more reason we need to have uh, like farming collectives or. Yeah. People need to read some like social ecology, social ecology and shit. Yeah, some permaculture, some uh, you know, growing and growing and doing collective food stuff. It's always good. Um, it's always fun. Uh, the food is meant to be cooked and and, and shared, um, or sh- but mainly shared. You know, shared with other people. But, yeah, you know, sh- here, shared with your with your grocery store. It's you sharing right. all that. Uh, you you having that intimate relationship with your grocery store. Ed. They care about you. You're, they do care about me. It's like and, Olive Garden. Everything when you I hear do. Your family. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I, and I might meet my family at the Kroger <laughs> Twenty Three right. and Me uh, combination store. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm at the Kroger. I'm at the Albertsons. I'm at the combination Kroger Albertsons. Oh my god! <laughs> um, I did want to point out as well, real quick, that the market, all this stuff we're talking about in terms of like what Kroger is doing with the data and how detailed they are and how they are, you know, industry leading data analysis firm, you know, in-house and all of that. It's, it's interesting as well that the markup in, in looking through their marketing documents found um, a part that was explicitly for uh, uh, rules for advertisers participating in Kroger's retail ad network. Because also take into account, you know, they've got their data analysis from 8451, but they also have Kroger Precision Marketing, which is, you know, one of the kind of industry leading targeted advertising firms as well. Kroger is really deep into all this, um, but they've got rules for advertisers participating on Kroger's retail ad network. And there's a section described as quote unquote tone of voice. Uh, to use in Kroger ads. And as the document notes, quote, avoid copy that assumes customers can be identified by lifestyle, activities, demographics, or gender. In other words, Kroger here is very tuned in to uh, uh, not cluing shoppers into the ability it has to target them or segment them in these ways. Um, Because why? Because customers don't like that shit. They don't like to be targeted. They don't like to be segmented. They don't like to be uh, poked and prodded and analyzed. They don't like knowing um, that uh, Kroger has all this information about them, extremely sensitive information, right? So Kroger goes to lengths uh, you know, to the extent of telling its you know third-party advertisers on its network, hey, if you're going to advertise on the Kroger network, uh, don't don't talk about like your ability to do really detailed identification or targeting based on the data that you collect or the data you buy from us, right? Like, you know, so I, I think it also shows as well, it's like a kid who knows they did something wrong and right is trying to hide it. Like they know that they're doing stuff that people would not like and do not like. Um, and so they are going to great extents to, uh, to, to uh, not clue people into that fact. Yeah. It, it makes me think, and one thing I am constantly always thinking about, I'm in, in interested, uh, interested in, it's like, you know, what also do we do about these, um, the proliferation of this data infrastructure? And, um, you know, how do we de-datify, you know, these, these, uh, these spaces, these markets, these companies? You know, I, I, of course, part of it is like, at some point, the death blow is making this, a lot of this stuff illegal. But what do you do to, like, deflate the... 
at Tech Bubble to deflate the or to you know suck the air out of and do a controlled demolition of the markets that rely on um, you know intrusive data collection uh, passing around between massive multinational corporations. What do you do to also to get rid of the firms that create the tools that let you do it? Whether it's facial recognition software, whether it's like loyalty programs or technical know-how for them. Uh, whether it's like ways to cleave up and carve up and and make sense of GPS data, figure out health data, figure out you know payment history, figure out demographic data, and tie those all into meaningful, insightful categories, or um, you know uh, transform or transform them into legible. You know, data sets that can then be done. You know, can be used for something useful, right? You know, how do how do we how do we actually like get rid of data um, after its point of generation and collation and organization and transformation and the creation of all these infrastructures that pass it along, generate it, profit off of it, commodify it. Uh, securitize it like what like out other than outright banning it you know what are our options i mean it, it definitely needs to be banned right i mean I, I think the extent to which some of this stuff is like so egregiously happening uh is raising a lot of heckles too at least with and with lawmakers right like you know we don't have time to get into it i highly recommend people go read the story from a couple months ago about the telehealth startups and go on and read the stories in the markup about the uh the market for location data but like you know fortunately we're not the only ones reading the markup and talking about this you know, uh, there's now been multiple stories I've seen of uh, senators raising inquiries into these, uh, you know, data tracking and monetization practices, in large part sparked and explicitly citing investigations from the markup and other related investigative journalism outfits, right? And so, like, the latest one, you know, is around the telehealth um, startups where, you know, these, these telehealth companies were sharing extremely sensitive data, um, with, uh, tech companies, including Meta, Google, TikTok, Microsoft, and Twitter for the purpose of targeting advertising, uh, following consumer browsing habits and buying patterns online. But, you know, they're selling data about people's mental health. Uh, and, and like, you know, uh, psychiatric prescriptions and all that, like, you know, this stuff is so egregious and nobody, nobody trusts that Facebook is going to do anything good with data they buy from, you know, better health or one of these other fucking, you know, telehealth startups that exploded during, uh, the pandemic. Nobody believes that Facebook is going to do anything good with health about like, you know, all these people are depressed, right? Clinically depressed. All these people are taking, you know, cl- uh, antidepressants or, you know, oh, 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 here's a segment of people with si- suicidal ideation, which is actually something that data brokers were selling, right? Um, I think it was a, you know, re- really, and it, it gets even more egregious from there in terms of like the, the segmentation that was being sold. So according to the Washington Post article about all this too, um, uh, 
a, a, a Illinois pharmaceutical marketing company was advertising a list of purported quote unquote rape sufferers uh, with a thousand names starting at only $79, right? Like they are selling extremely sensitive information at dirt cheap prices to whoever wants to buy it. And this shit is so egregious uh, and so outrageous um, that like, you know, it is raising Senate inquiries. Uh, you know, uh, Amy Klobuchar in particular has actually been at the forefront of this, you know, in terms of thinking, uh, in terms of, you know, uh, she's on the subcommittee for trade and competition, right? Um, and so thinking about these things as trade issues, thinking about them as competition issues. So there is some... I don't know if I want to say there's activity, there's uh, awareness happening. I, I would love for us to get beyond the raising awareness phase um, as if these fucking, you know, uh, powerful senators are, uh, you know, activists who are like, you, someone needs to raise awareness about these issues. Yeah, you are the person that needs to do something about it, right? It's like Biden going on and tweeting, like, you know, some, it's really time for somebody to do something about all these, uh, egregious issues that we have in this country. I don't know who's the person to do something about it, right? Is it me or is it you, uh, the president or a powerful senator? Um, but I, I mean, I hope that some of this is just like the, the point is, is that like, the mark, the data market in particular, uh, you know, focusing on that has gotten so bad, so outrageous, so egregious, so out of control um, that it's like at the point now where it's it's impossible to ignore it. It's impossible to be like this is good. Actually, it's impossible to believe it when you know a when a, a Senate subcommittee hearing about the Kroger Albertson merger was asking questions uh, and probing some things around the data collection and and use of these companies. And you know when you've got and it's not just Democrats, right? When you've got hardline Republicans like Mike Lee of Utah or Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee, um, you know, asking hard questions of the executives of like Kroger, right? And, you know, asking these companies, um, you know, what, you know, why are you collecting all of this data, right? You got, you know, a Republican saying, quote, uh, you know, do Americans really need a grocery store chain with wealthy owners who collect more of their personal data? Like it's gotten to a point where you got like these hardline Republicans are also raising being these questions and being like, you know, this is a, this is a major issue. And, you know, in response to a, a, a question from Marsha Blackburn, who's a fucking lunatic of a Republic, Tennessee Republican senator, but in a response to a, a, a question from her, the Kroger CEO, Rodney McMullen, you know, said, quote, our combined customer insights enable us to deliver more personalized promotion strategies, saving customers time and money. So, you know, these exec, the, like, that's a lot. Like, no one believes that, right? No one believes that's the case. Uh, and, and yet, anytime these executives get hauled before, uh, Congress, you know, hauled before the Senate for some, you know, inquiry, right? Whether, yeah, it's the, you know, Competition Policy Antitrust and Consumer Rights Subcommittee that's, uh, Klobuchar head, uh, heads up, right? Like anytime they get hauled before these, uh, uh, subcommittees or inquiries, their responses are always just like completely meaningless, completely hollow. 
bald face, you know, just either buzzwords and bullshit, right? That's all it is. And I think it's getting to a point where nobody believes it. So now the question is, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it when you've got them lying to your face? What are you going to do about it when you've got really clear evidence that the outrageous, out of control, um, you know, operations of these industries, right? Are you going to keep saying somebody needs to do something about it? Are you going to keep raising awareness? Are you going to actually take active, uh, you know, take action against it? Um, and I think we're really hitting these inflection points where that that's the key question here. Like, what are you going to do about it, right? Because they're not going to do anything, all, you know, voluntarily. <laughs> you got to make them do something. And, and you know, I don't know for sure what that, I don't know what the answer to that, what are you going to do about it question is, but I do know that's the question that more and more people are raising, yeah, you know, that's that's maybe maybe that's something. Maybe we reach out to people who, you know, try to do some sort of sabotage, you know, like what can be poisoned? What sort of data can be poisoned? You know, like what sort of sabotage can be done and at what points of the process? I think that'd be like really interesting. <laughs> so I think more and more, you know, one thing I have been realizing and trying, you know, there's a story I've been trying to work on for a, very, a long time. It's coming on very slowly. There's a story I've been working on for a long time, but it's coming on very slowly. It's talking about <clears throat> sabotage and kind of looking at like why people don't do it, or the premise was looking at why people don't do it. But then I think more so shifting to like people do it and we don't hear about it for various reasons. And some of those reasons are because um, genuine like a cover up and the cover up not in the sense of like a, you know sort of a nefarious one so much as like it's just handled internally and not made of too much of a big deal of. Um, and then others because. I think people don't realize how relatively easy or insecure some system is. And then otherwise because like someone did and then they decided to patch that shit up the right, the right, the fuck up. Um, and the opportunity was lost forever. But one thing I'm really interested in is like what you do here. Like what, what can be put, what sort of data along what points of the process of generation, collation, transformation, distribution can be, can, can it be poisoned? Um, and how and by who, uh, and what could any of us do? But yeah, no, that's definitely something to return to because I feel like uh, this is something that would be interesting to learn and, and explore and apply to all the data markets and the that touch all the industries that we suffer because they marketize every single aspect of our lives. Yeah, and I think this is a key part here though too is that like the data is no longer an add-on to these businesses. It's integral. It's a, it's infrastructural, right? So it's like, I don't think we're at that point where you can like, again, in the surveillance capitalism model, right? Like, you know, yank all the surveillance and all the data tracking and data monetization, you know, uh, all of that stuff out of these companies and then like reset them to some time period 50 years ago, right? Like you can't do that. Data capital is essential it's integral it's it's locked in it's so deeply integrated into the operations of these industries into the operations of capitalism 
that is, I mean, you know, this is an essential part of uh, uh, argument of, of, of my work and many other people in the same vein, right? Is that like, this is, this is the era of capitalism that we live in now, right? It's a very data-driven era. It's one that is defined in large part in increasingly more sectors and industries uh, and parts of our lives by data capital. What that shows, I think, is that like this, this kind of pipe dream idea that like the, the solution is just to, you know, like a, like a, like a expert surgeon excising a tumor from an otherwise, he otherwise healthy body. Um, that we can just extract it, right? Just cut it away, pull it out, um, and, and, and maybe with a bit of recovery time, we can get back to, you know, fit, fight, and shape. That's not the case, you know? No, the, the, uh, this is an essential organ of the body politic of capital. There is no taking it out. There is only uh, killing the beast. Um, you know, that, that's, I, that's, that's what it really comes down to, right? Like, so, and I think, you know, the case study we've been talking about, the investigation we've been talking about around supermarkets, the stuff we mentioned around telehealth, the, all, you know, the stuff around location data. I mean, just like the more and more of these kind of case studies we have of the size uh, and, and extents, uh, you know, the extent and intensity of the data market here just really proves how uh, integral uh, it, data capital is to the whole of capitalism and how large it's become, how big and mean it's become. Um, and yeah. I mean like any of these tweaks, right. Right. It's little, you know, regu you know, regulations, sabotage, like all these things are necessary, but they gotta be part. They all have to be on a pathway towards slaying the beast, right? Not thinking you can pull out the tumor and have an otherwise healthy body. Um, that's just not that we are not at that point anymore. Um, and anything else is either a, a, a willful misunderstanding, um, or a, uh, uh, a hopeful, uh, either a willful, cynical, or hopeful misunderstanding, but regardless, right. a misunderstanding nonetheless. I think with that... Uh, we'll call it, we'll call it quits there. We'll call we'll call that an episode of TMK. Um, thank everybody. I want to thank everybody for listening. Thank you all, uh, uh, for as well going and subscribing, which you can find us at patreon.com slash this machine kills for additional premium episodes every single week. Uh, I think we've got a, ni a nice one li lined up for this, uh, um, for the premium episode this week. Uh, looking at uh, Amazon and the reign of Jassy, right? The um, and uh, so so looking at you know what what's Am the the kind of the somewhat dire straits Amazon find itself in the attempt at the new CEO Andy Jassy to uh, to write it while also taking control and making it his own company out from under the shadow of Bezos. There's a really long and nice. Um, piece in the FT, uh, one of their big reads about this. So we'll look at that, look at some other stuff, but uh, join us in the Patreon feed for that later in the week. So until next time, 
See ya. Adios. If this episode taught you anything, it is to make sure you shoplift as often as you can from big chain grocery stores. Hell yeah.